Hello and welcome to the menu. Monaco's program on food, drink and great hospitality. I am Markus Hippi. In the next 30 minutes we will recap the top recipes we heard in food neighborhoods in 2022. Chefs from around the world will share their easy and sometimes a bit more challenging favorites. That should keep you busy in the kitchen for weeks to come. So stay tuned. There will be a lot of cooking inspiration ahead in the next half an hour here on Monocle 24. So let's get started. In the beginning of 2022, Simon Rogan's restaurant Longloom became the first in Northern England to receive three Michelin stars. Simon joined me in the studio to talk about the major achievement and he also shared a recipe with us. I am Simon Rogan. I'm the chef owner of the Unbarrel Restaurant Group, with my flagship being Long Clume, which has just received three Michelin stars. And the recipe I would choose is I really love mushrooms. It's one of my favourite ingredients. I can't imagine a, a menu without mushrooms. So a simple home recipe would take a button mushroom, stuff it with cream cheese, maybe add a little bit of chopped lovage into it first, so it's got a nice celery flavour to it and then egg and crumb it with polenta, deep fry it, and serve it with a nice dill salad, so dill with some celery, some fennel and red onions, and just a nice drizzle of olive oil. Simon Rogan there. Let's then continue with a delicious soup recipe from Toronto. Hello, I'm Amy Rosen, author of Kosher Style, and I want to tell you about a delicious, easy, nutritious, and nostalgic soup called split pea and noodle soup. This is my take on a recipe from one of Toronto's oldest restaurants called United Baker's Dairy Restaurant, over 100 years old. So they have this split pea soup that I've recreated at home, and hopefully you'll enjoy it. All you do is to a large pot, you add a tablespoon of olive oil, you heat it up over medium heat, you add a medium chopped onion and let that brown for about five minutes. Then you add a couple garlic cloves, stir it around for another minute, add six cups of vegetable or chicken stock, bring it to a boil, and then add a cup of dried green split peas. Make sure you pick them through to make sure there's no little stones in there. So we bring that to a boil, we add a large carrot that's been peeled and chopped, a bay leaf, and then salt and pepper to taste. We let it cook over a simmer, a low heat, covered for one and a half hours. So you just walk away. After that time, you remove the bay leaf, you let the soup cool slightly, and then you puree it either in a blender or with an immersion blender. And then you add a cup of dried spaghetti, broken up into little pieces, stir it in, bring the heat up to a boil again, let it cook for 10 to 12 minutes or until the noodles are al dente, and then you remove it from the heat, stir in a cup of chopped fresh dill, and you're done. My thanks to Amy Rosen. Let's next hear from the author of one of my favorite cookbooks of 2022. I'm Georgina Hayden, and this is a recipe from my new book, Nistissima. 
These are crushed coriander and olive new potatoes. And I love cooking new potatoes this way. I think it just showcases them in all their glory. It's really simple. It's something that can play a part of your Sunday roast, or you could even have them on their own with a lovely salad midweek. They're utterly delicious. All you need is around 750 grams of new potatoes. Put them in a big pan of boiling salted water and cook them for about 15 minutes so they're tender and cooked through. Drain them, leave them to steam dry in a colander. Meanwhile, preheat your oven to around 200 degrees centigrade so it's really nice and hot. Then transfer the new potatoes to a roasting tray. You want to crush them a little bit with a potato masher just to sort of break the skins and break them down a bit so there's a bit more surface area so they get lovely, crispy and gnarly. And then dress the potatoes in olive oil, salt and pepper, the juice of half a lemon, which is really important. That citrus is just divine. And then for flavour, you want to crush two teaspoons of coriander seeds. They don't have to be too fine. Roughly crush them, toss that through. And then I love to add around 60, 70 grams of pitted black olives. They'll go lovely and crispy and almost meaty in the oven. Mix it all together. Pop the tray in the oven for 20, 25 minutes until they're golden and crispy. And then finish it with some roughly chopped fresh coriander. A really delicious side dish and I hope you love it as much as I do. That was Georgina Hayden who released her cookbook Nistisima earlier this year. This Best of Food Neighbourhood special edition of the menu continues now with a recipe by one of California's best-known chefs, authors and restaurateurs. I'm Nancy Silverton and I am going to give you the most craveable, simplest recipe that you can make. And that's the key, that you can make it. You know, I'm not going to give you something that you're going to struggle with. The recipe is made with bread. It's called fatunta. And fatunta, the translation of fatunta, is sliced and greasy. So when I say sliced and greasy, it might not sound delicious, but boy, is it ever delicious. So, start off with a large loaf of a crusty bread. That's key, crusty bread. It can't just be a prepackaged sliced white bread. It's got to be a crusty loaf. You want to slice it maybe three fingers thick, or three of my fingers thick. You need to toast it. You could toast it in the oven. You could toast it in a traditional toaster or on a wood-fired grill or a gas grill. Point is, you need to get the outside crusty on both sides. Once you take it off of that grill or out of the oven or out of the toaster, you want to immediately rub both sides of this thick slice of bread with a peeled clove of garlic. So the garlic flavor really permeates the bread. And then you want to take out one of your favorite olive oils. That means one that's not rancid, preferably one that is no older than a year old. And you want to literally drown the bread in that olive oil. And when you think that you've poured enough, pour some more. And then you want to sprinkle it with a flaky sea salt, like a Malden sea salt. Cut that bread in half, eat it warm, and you probably will eat it all. So I would say, if you're planning on sharing it, make a couple of these slices. But it's called fatunta. It's simple, it is addictive, and you will never forget it. And it goes with everything. 
thanks to Nancy Silverson for that recipe. We continue to Iceland next. Sola Eriksdottir is one of the country's best-known chefs and a pioneer of vegetarian, vegan and raw food. Here is her recipe recommendation. My name is Sola Eriksdottir and I'm a plant-based chef and I just made a book with Fighten called Vegan at Home. I would love to share one of my favorite desserts, hazelnut mousse. Hazelnuts and chocolate are a match made in heaven. The first time I made hazelnut milk, I used medjool dates as a sweetener. I almost had a spiritual awakening. This velvet feeling from the cold milk in my mouth with the hazelnut flavor was so strong, yet perfect. Pair it with chocolate or cacao and you can't go wrong. I always soak the hazelnuts before making milk as they can be rancid and unpleasant, but soaking helps to remove that. For a whipped topping, I use aquafaba, which is a brilliant substitute for cream, but feel free to use your favorite plant-based whipping cream. 160 gram cashews, 75 grams hazelnuts, 50 grams agave syrup, 50 gram cacao powder, 3 tablespoons plus 1 teaspoon coconut oil melted, 3 tablespoons plus 1 teaspoon cacao butter melted, 1 teaspoon vanilla extract, half a teaspoon sea salt flakes, half a teaspoon cayenne pepper. To serve, 400 milliliter aquafaba whipped cream, Free seasonal berries, such as blueberries, pomegranate seeds. Put the cashews into a large bowl covered with water and soak for at least two hours or overnight. When making the hazelnut milk, put the hazelnuts into a large bowl covered with water and soak for one to two hours. When ready to make the milk, drain and rinse the hazelnuts, discard the soaking water then put them into a high-speed blender with 250 ml water and blend for two minutes. Hang a nut milk bag over a large bowl, pour the mixture into the bag and squeeze the bag gently until the liquid is in the bowl. You will need a three-fourth of a cup plus one tablespoon hazelnut milk for the recipe. When you are ready to make the hazelnut mousse, Drain and rinse the cashews, discarding the soaking water. Then put them into a high-speed blender with the remaining ingredients and the hazelnut milk and blend until smooth and grain-free. Divide the mousse among four to six serving glasses or bowls and chill in the refrigerator for three to four hours or in the freezer for two hours or until set and firm. To serve, Top each mousse with the aquafaba cream, fresh berries and pomegranate seed and enjoy. Thanks to Sola Eriksdottir from Iceland. You are listening to a special Best of Food Neighbourhoods edition of The Menu. We continue with more recipes after this short break. Tune in to Monocle on Culture, where we grill our panel of critics to get the inside line on the best in the world of film, music, art, literature and more. 
It's just got this synth section that kind of makes you want to swing through the saloon doors straight to the dance floor. I appreciate that some of the most brilliant art, most of it, grounds you in this moment and makes you confront it. With industry insiders and the odd bit of reportage too, it's bound to keep the most discerning of culture vultures very well fed. Why'd You Come In Here Looking Like That is a song that is absolutely going to make you want to put on a pair of tight jeans and go boot scooting, even if it's just in <laughs> your front room. Monocle on Culture, premiering Mondays at 2000 London time here on Monocle 24 and available thereafter wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. You are listening to The Menu on Monocle 24. In this episode, we recap some of the best bits from food neighbourhoods in 2022. In June, we heard from the chef owners of London's Honey & Co. restaurant group. This is one of their favourite recipes. I'm Sarit Becker. I'm Ita Masulovic. Together we're from Honey & Co. restaurant, now in Bloomsbury. We're going to talk you through our recipe for green shakshuka, which is not really a recipe. It's what we do when we have a lot of green things in the fridge that needs to be used. Yes, and when we want a really nice hearty breakfast. Yeah, but we have had it for lunch and dinner as well. It's we a have. really yeah. good sort of... <laughs> gap filler isn't it it is but it's really simple it's basically all the greens so it can be tops of all of your vegetables like beetroots carrots radishes or it can be spinach or swiss chard or anything like that that you've bought specifically wash it really well because it gets loads of grit in it chop it up very roughly into a pan with some oil or some butter depending which you favor season it really really well with salt pepper it needs a lot of salt and then we like to add lots and lots of herbs like mint dill parsley the more herbs, the merrier. A tiny bit of time just to pop those flavors, kind of give it some earthiness. And then once it's all a kind of green, vibrant stew, you just crack some eggs on top. Season them again, close the lid, let them steam maybe four or five minutes. Yeah, you want the yolk to be quite runny. Yes, you have to have the yolk runny. And then toasted bread. Yeah, That's a bit of your, yogurt. Yeah. You're happy. I think so. Sarit Bakker and Ita Marsrulovic, they're from London's Honey & Co. restaurant group. Our next guest doesn't need much introductions. Here is one of the world's best-known authorities in baking, Paul Hollywood. The recipe I wanted to do, sort of go through is the apricot Danish pastries. Obviously, with a Danish pastry, you have to make the dough first and then laminate it with the butter. So to make the pastry, you need to use a large bowl, mix in the flour, the salt, the sugar, the eggs, the yeast together. Then you add the water and the milk and stir together to combine. It starts to come together pretty much straight away. You need to turn it around in the bowl, folding it continuously into the middle. And you need to do that for around three minutes initially and then leave it to rest. And then you come back to it after about half an hour and then begin to, again, knead it, folding it into the middle. And the dough will get smoother and smoother and smoother. And you need to do that for around 10 minutes so it's nice and smooth. For me, I would leave the dough in a bowl, cover it up with a little bit of cling film, pop it in the fridge for about an hour. Minimum half an hour, maximum an hour to two hours. After that, you need to bring the dough out, knock the air out of it and shape it with a rolling pen into a, a large rectangle. At this point, you need to get your butter from the fridge and knock out the butter with a rolling pin to roughly to cover two-thirds of the size of the dough that you've already rolled out. Once you've done that, 
place your butter on top of your dough, fold over the dough over half the butter, and then fold the remaining butter over the dough. You should now have dough, butter, dough, butter, dough. Cling film this, pop it in the fridge for at least half an hour to solidify the butter again. Then you need to repeat that process by folding, by rolling out the dough, folding it over into the middle, and then folding it over on top again. So you end up with another three layers. It's all about building up the lamination within the dough. You need to repeat this three times. Once you've done that, chill it, preferably overnight, but if not, minimum two hours. Then you need to tip the dough out, roll it to a rectangle about 50 by 20 centimeters. And with the short side facing you, coat the butter in a little flour. And then basically what you need to do is roll this dough out into a large rectangle. Once you have it in a rectangle, roughly it needs to be the thickness of, I would say about 15 mil, about 10 to 15 mil. It's quite thick, but you need it into a rectangle. Cut your blade from the top to the bottom on the short side so they look square. Once you have all the squares that have been cut, cut all your lines throughout your dough. Then you need to twist, hold one side and twist the other side and then fold it into a knot by leaving a little tongue underneath. Place this onto the tray. Once you have all of your dough knots on your tray, they need to prove up. Now, you need to cover that up just to stop it from skinning too much on the top. Once it begins to prove up, you need to prepare your creme pat, which is simple enough, which is heating up your milk and cream with vanilla paste. Then you whisk together your yolks and sugar and corn flour then you add that to your warm milk, replace it back on the pan, and then heat that up to thicken. And actually, the corn flour will use together with the eggs to thicken it beautifully. Do not overcook it. Chill that down, and then come back to your dough, place your mixture of creme pat into a piping bag, and in the middle of each knot, pipe a good spoonful of creme pat. Once you've done that, glaze the top with a little bit of egg, and then you need to bake it. Now, when you're baking it, you wanna bake it at 200 or 180 fan for around 20 minutes till golden brown. Once it comes out, place apricot on the top, half an apricot. Now these are tinned apricots on the top of each knot. Then you need to glaze it with apricot jam, which has been watered down over a pan and warmed up. Then I'm finally on top of that, you've got icing sugar, you want the zest of a lemon, and 30 ml of water together with 100 grams of icing sugar. You blend that together into a watery paste and then rub it all around the outside without touching the apricot. Leave that to cool and enjoy. Paul Hollywood there and his book Bake came out earlier this year. The menu hit the road back in August as we went to Estonia's capital Tallinn to see how the city has rapidly become one of Europe's most interesting and original food destinations. One of the people who have worked hard to transform the capital's hospitality scene is top chef Peter Bihel. My name is Peter Bihel and I am a head chef of the Fotografiska Tallinn. And today we're going to do the Bakvit Semolina pudding with a woodroof uh, milk. It's uh, one of my favorite uh, childhood uh, tastes and uh, really popular in the uh, school canteens. I think in every home doing different way. 
because uh, you just take the semolina, boil it together with some uh, nice uh, berry juice, for example, black currant, red currant, blackberries, because now it's uh, really like a season of the, of the berries in Estonia. And you cool it down, the semolina pudding, together with the juice a little bit, and then you whisk it. And uh, usually you just uh, eat that together with a nice cold milk. And that's the thing. It's very, very popular, for the, especially for the summertime. On summertime you can add fresh berries on the top as well. And if you eat it, you have to follow the, the system how you're going to eat. You have to take all the layers, the semolina pudding, fresh berries and the milk on the same time. And the big spoon of the, the semolina pudding and omps. Thanks to Peter Pihel for this week's recipe. Peter runs his restaurant at Tallinn's Fotografiska Museum. Up next, a pasta recipe that can't get much simpler. I'm Vicky Benison. I'm the creator of Pasta Grannies, and this recipe is from my second book called Pasta Grannies Comfort Cooking. And it's a wonderful, simple recipe. Get a packet of bucatini pasta, start cooking it, and get the most beautiful, luscious tomatoes you can find. And then you peel them by blanching them in hot water, chop them up, mix it up with some uh, grated garlic mixed in with a little salt, mix in some torn basil leaves, the ones that have spent their life in the sun. Put that all mixed up on a plate into the sunshine and let it warm through for about 30 minutes. Then drain your pasta, mix it in with the tomatoes, throw in a little bit of pecorino cheese, and that's it. That is your your sun-cooked tomatoes with bucatini pasta. Vicky Benison there with one of her favorite recipes. She's the author of the cookbook Pasta Crannies, Comfort Cooking. Well, our next guest has launched Oren, one of the most talked about new restaurants in East London this decade. Let's hear from him. My name is Oded, Oded Oren. I own a restaurant called Oren in East London on Shackwell Lane, Dalston. And I would like to share a very simple, delicious recipe with you, uh, which would be our own harissa that we make in-house. We, we call it burnt chili harissa, because usually harissa is made with, uh, with dried chilies and some oil and some garlic. These are fresh chilies, red fresh chilies that are not too spicy. We just burn them over the grill or over an open fire, which scorches the, the skin. We do quite a lot of that, uh, so I'll explain. But uh, those chili peppers are roasted, then chilled a bit, and then peeled. We take off the bit of the, the green head, um, and then we chop it with a knife. Very simple. Uh, add a little bit of garlic, not too much, a little bit of salt, and some extra virgin olive oil. Uh, just quite smothered in it so so it also keeps well in the fridge people just love it i think it's it's a great condiment to add to anything because it's not too spicy but it's spicy enough if you eat enough of it but it's it's got the smoky flavor of the char and the sweetness of of a chili of a of a fresh pepper that is that has been charred so yeah i think i think it's quite remarkable what 
um, like people just come to the restaurant and just ask, oh, how did you do that? How how is this how is this made? We've never had anything like it. I'm like, yeah, just scorch some chilies, chop them, add some olive oil and salt, and there there you go. It's just just like that. So I think it's the simple things that has the the most effect in food for me. I mean, I think that reflects a lot about the way that I cook or think about food. Should be simple. Should be simplified as much as you can. If you use good ingredients, it's just going to be delicious. That was ordered Oren from London's Oren restaurant. And finally today, a super easy pasta recipe from Down Under. I'm Alice Aslavsky. I'm a broadcaster, cookbook author and vigilante from Melbourne, Australia. And my new book is The Joy of Better Cooking, which helps to encourage enthusiastic eaters to learn that they don't need to be a good cook in order to enjoy cooking. They just need to know that every time they get into the kitchen, they get better. And one of the recipes in the book that I think is an absolute knockout and I make on a fortnightly basis is almost like an in-case-of-emergency break into pantry. It's the pantry puttanesca, which is a pasta dish uh, which incorporates a lot of tins, so tinned tomatoes, tinned tuna, you've got your olives and your capers, you've got your parmesan in the in the fridge and you've got your dried pasta and you put all of that together uh, and it just really is so much greater than the sum of its parts. So the way that I really like to think about this dish is that it's very textural. Uh, the the capers are the first thing that's fried. You want those capers to be like crunchy little plant-based anchovies. And in fact, you can make the dish plant-based if you want to as well by taking out the tuna <laughs> and going heavier on the capers. And then uh, you, while the pasta is boiling, once you've fried off the capers, you keep that same sort of salty, briny oil in the pan and you fry off your olives because something really magical happens when you fry olives. They become really meaty and quite nutty. So you've got your nutty, meaty olives with those little burnished bits and then you add in your tomato sauce and your garlic, go heavy on the garlic and you start to cook that down and it does start to kind of uh, become quite jammy. You can add a little bit of sugar. If you're using Italian tomatoes, you don't need to, you don't tend to need sugar, but if you're using tomatoes and you taste them and they're quite acidic, just a pinch of sugar really cheats it. That's a nonna's trick. <laughs> and then right as the pasta has cooked, you toss in your tins of tu- tins of tuna, stir it all around for the tuna just to kind of warm through, and then in goes the pasta, half a mug full of pasta water, boom, 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 into a bowl, Parmesan grated, those crispy capers go on top, olive oil, cracked pepper, dinner's on the table. And it's the sort of dish that you really, once you make it a couple of times, you are on autopilot, which is one of the chapters in the book, but you'll find yourself sitting down to the table and you won't even realise. You'll think, how did I make this? Who made this? Oh, yeah, I made this. And it's really good. And it's a really good dish as well if you've got young kids in the house because it's so full of umami and it's so full of this savoury kind of, some quite challenging flavours, but it is actually irresistible to eat. And you'll find them saying, I like olives, I like capers, I like tuna, and uh, you've got yourself an adventurous eater before you know it. 
That was Alice Zaslavskihu's book The Joy of Better Cooking is out now. And that's all for this edition of The Menu. For previous episodes of this program, go to Monaco's website, SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts. And remember to subscribe to the show so that it automatically arrives onto your device every week. This show was edited and mixed by Callum McLean and I am Marcus Hippi. Once again, we finish this program with a dinner soundtrack recommendation. Here is Abba with Happy New Year. Thanks for listening. Happy New Year.